Hey everyone, and welcome to Christ Fellowship Online. My name is Jeannie Rodriguez, and I'm so glad that you're able to join us. If this is your first time, I want to invite you to pause the broadcast and fill out a connection card at cfmemi.org connect. This will help us connect with you and know how we can best serve you during the season. And now, a special message by Pastor Mark Croston. Hello, everybody. Amen. We're so excited to be able to be here on today. You may be seated. It's a great day that God has given to us, and we're excited uh, to be able to be here on a wonderful day to share uh, from the Word of God. I want to welcome all those who are joining us at all the Christ Fellowship campuses and those who are joining us online as well. So if you have your Bible with you, I want you to turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I want to read verses 24 through 26. And if you would, uh, stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Uh, reading verses 24 through 26. And the word of the Lord reads like this. There is nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand. Because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? For the person who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give it to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. This too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. You may be seated. So I want us to think uh, in the moments that we'll share together from one simple and yet powerful question. It is this, are you satisfied? Would you ask your neighbor that question real quick right now? Are you satisfied? Let's bow and pray. Father, now we thank you in the powerful name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for the many blessings that you have provided for us. We thank you for the privilege of being able to even be here in the house of prayer today. God, we thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, who died on Calvary's cross, for his blood that was shed, and for the difference that it makes in our lives. Now, God, we pray that you would open up your word for us one more time. Speak to us from the inexhaustible riches of its pages. Make us better for having come here today. And allow these moments to give your name, which is worthy, glory and honor and praise. And we thank you for the privilege in Jesus' name. And all who know him said amen. Amen. Are you satisfied? Or uh, are you singing in your heart that old song that says, I can't get no satisfaction. It was originally recorded in 1964 by the Rolling Stones. And the problem is that today, when people start looking at God and faith, there are a lot of uh, preaching and teaching of what I would like to call the dissatisfaction gospel, more commonly known as prosperity gospel. It is a gospel that takes a few isolated scriptures and twists them for its own self-serving theological discourse. They would like to say that we all ought to be popular. But the Bible says, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and straight is the gate, and narrow the way that leads to everlasting life, and you only see a fellow traveler every now and then. 
They would like to say we all ought to have a great house. But Jesus said the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. They would like to say we all ought to live on easy street. But the Bible says we will endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Maybe they would like to say that we all ought to be healthy all the time. But the Bible says through uh, Paul the Apostle, my grace is sufficient uh, for you. That was what God told Paul when he was sick. And they would like to say that we all ought to be wealthy. But the Bible says that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They would want us to believe that God is a cosmic sugar daddy wanting to give you every one of your heart's desires. But the Bible says the heart of man is deceitful and wicked, and who can know it? They would like us to believe that spirituality is like a spiritual slot machine. Insert a tithe, give a seed offering, pull his arm down with a prayer, and win the seven-fold jackpot every time. But only a crackpot would believe you're going to win the jackpot. This gospel of dissatisfaction appeals to our most base selves, but it really helps us, causes us to move away from where God really tells us we should center if we really want to find satisfaction in our lives. See, without satisfaction in your life, you are irritable, nagging, anxious, jealous, and discontent. You know anybody like that? I mean, if they're sitting next to you, just look up here. <laughs> Without satisfaction, we have a tendency to believe that the grass is always greener somewhere else. And so we run from job to job, from relationship to relationship, from church to church, marriage to marriage, debt to debt, uh, from drug to drug or reality TV show to reality TV show. People trying to find satisfaction often find themselves as addicts. And so maybe you're an addict today. Maybe you're a drug addict or an alcohol addict. But maybe you're a food addict or maybe a gossip addict. Maybe you're a social media addict, or a Google searching addict, or a sex addict, a work addict, or a laziness addict. Maybe you're a fussing, complaining, grouchy, cussing, criticizing addict. But the truth is that when we're searching for satisfaction and we haven't found it, we often get addicted to negative things. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 15 and 16 says, there are three things that are never satisfied, four that say it's never enough. The grave, the barren womb, the land, and the fire are never satisfied. Ecclesiastes 5 and 10 says, whoever loves money never has enough, and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Isaiah 55 and 2 reminds us, why do you spend money for that which is not bread and labor for that which will never satisfy? And 1 Timothy chapter 6 reminds us, Godliness with contentment is great gain, 
For we brought nothing into this world, and we will take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothes, we should be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and in a trap with many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Listen to verse number 10. For the love of money, not the lack of money, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so here in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, we get some powerful, wonderful insights on how to really find satisfaction in our lives. Ecclesiastes is written by King Solomon. Solomon became king when he was just a little boy. And Solomon prayed to Almighty God that as he took on the uh, task of being king of Israel, that God would give him wisdom. And God heard Solomon's prayer and said, look, you could have asked for fame or wealth, he said, but because you asked for wisdom, he said, I'm going to give you the trifecta, all three. And so here in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes, and, and Solomon in Ecclesiastes is trying to give us an image of how futile life is when we try to live life without God. He's, he says over and over in this book, he talks about being under the sun. And so what he's talking about for us is how futile life is when we feel like we can live life without the presence of Almighty God in our lives. And so when we get here to chapter 2, Solomon says a few things that I think are helpful to each one of us. First, if you want to find satisfaction in your life, stop searching in all the wrong places. Stop searching in all the wrong places. Look at what happens as chapter 2 begins to unfold. So you cannot find satisfaction, chapter 2 tells us, in pleasure. Look at verses 1 through 3. He said, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolishness. And what does that accomplish? I tried cheering myself, he says, with wine and embracing folly, my mind guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men under heaven during the few days that they have to live. And so Solomon says that many times in our lives, we feel like if I can find the right kind of pleasure, pleasure will bring me satisfaction. And so in Solomon's life, he said, I, I, I tried it for myself. He said, I went out and I tried to find the most pleasurable things there were in life. And Solomon says, I tried it. I, I've been there. I got the t-shirt. And he said, and pleasure did not bring me satisfaction. Look at verse number four. He said, not, maybe not pleasure, but maybe some of us try to find satisfaction in our projects or our work. Look at verse number four. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs of water groves of flourishing trees. And, and so sometimes we pour ourselves into our work. We work 60, 70, 80, 120 hours in a week and because we believe that if we can just climb the corporate ladder, if we can just achieve this 
in our work life, that, that that will bring a real sense of satisfaction in our lives. And work is a good thing and wonderful and necessary, but the truth is work alone will never bring you satisfaction. He says in verse number seven, what about possessions? He says, I bought male and female slaves. I had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herd and flock than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. And so some of us look for possessions. And we feel like, man, if I could just get enough possessions, then everything would be all right. And you know how they've had those big uh, uh, mega jackpots going on around the country and, and all these people have been signing up. And I know some church folk have been signing up for some of them too. And if you hit it, I uh, certainly hope you're going to tithe it to the church. But, <laughs> but anyway, the truth is that it doesn't matter how much money you get, you will still never be satisfied. Ask any rich person in this world, and they will always tell you that what they want is just a little bit more. And so possessions really never fully satisfy anybody. If you're miserable poor, you'll just be the same miserable person when you get rich. Finally, he says passion. He said in the ending part of verse number eight and verse number nine, he says, I acquired men and women singers, a harem as well as the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and in this all my wisdom stayed with me. Now, I would like to say that I have a question I want to ask Almighty God when I get to heaven, and it's really about verse number nine right here. Now, Solomon had uh, 700 wives and 300 sisters on the side. Uh, the Bible says concubine. I'm saying that's sisters on the side. So any guy that thinks he can find happiness married to 700 women with 300 sisters on the side doesn't seem like the wisest person in the world to me. But, but my wisdom is not God's wisdom. Uh, God says that Solomon was wise. Even Jesus declared that a greater than Solomon has not been born. And so, uh, but I do have that question I want to raise when I get to heaven. So, you know, and so, uh, you know, years ago, you know, before AIDS, before AIDS, some of y'all are old enough to remember those days, and there were guys going around talking about how many women they had slept with and bragging, I slept with 500,000 different women. Well, they don't brag about that anymore, but, but the truth is, the truth is that it doesn't matter. You will never find satisfaction simply in passion alone. You just won't find it there. Now, Solomon, remember, was the richest man and the wisest man that Israel had ever known. And so if you thought about Solomon, if you took the success of Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and Oprah Winfrey combined, they would not parallel Solomon's success. Solomon says, I had it all, and I tried it all, and he says, and even though I tried everything there was, there, I did not find satisfaction there. Look at verse number 11, and let your imagination run wild with verse number 11. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. See, some of the stuff you've denied yourself was because you couldn't get a hold of it. But, the, but Solomon had access to everything there was. And he said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. And yet, Solomon says, he could not find 
satisfaction. Some people only look like they're satisfied and only look like success. And so their favorite song is, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. (laughs) Tony Campola wrote a book several years ago called Success Fantasy. And in it, he, he explores the lives of people who have achieved great success in this world's view. But their lives are still miserable. There was an old beer commercial It was an old uh, Milwaukee beer commercial that said, it doesn't get any better than this. Well, if that's as good as it gets, then I think we all ought to just hang it up. So so the first point just is stop trying, stop looking in all the wrong places. Second, start finding satisfaction in life right now. We get down to verse number 17, Solomon says, So I hated life because all the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me, and I hated that all the toil I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave it to the one who comes after me. And so first, he he hates life because life comes to an end. He recognizes this, that life really does come to an end. And the truth is that all the stuff you accumulate, you will not be able to take with you. I don't know how many funerals I've preached over these many years, but I've never seen anybody take all that stuff with them. In fact, sometimes I've seen family members reach into the casket and make sure they weren't taking some stuff with them. (laughs) Second, he hated life because all the stuff you accumulate is going to eventually become somebody else's stuff. And here's the part that, you know, we treasure all of this stuff and we care for all of this stuff. And, and, and some of us have rooms that we don't want anybody else to walk in. And, and we tell people, take your shoes off when you come into the house because I got to protect my stuff. And we put plastic over and say, you have dishes that you put in a certain place. Say, oh, those are the special dishes. When do we get to the, well, use those? We never use those because they're special. You know what I'm talking about. And the truth is, we accumulate all kinds of stuff in our house. I can remember when, when I was a newly married, uh, my wife and I, we had two young kids at the time. We were driving a little Chevy, uh, Chevy Nova, and we were on our way on vacation. So, you know, if you got a mom and dad, two kids, and you're on your way for a week's vacation, the, the car is packed full. And we stopped by a store, uh, and, and, and for some reason on, on the way on vacation, and my wife saw a comfort in the store. You know what I'm talking about, you know, a comfort for your bed. And, uh, and she said, I got to have that. And I said, uh, hold on, baby. I said, let's not get that right now. I said, let's wait, and uh, we'll get that on the way back. But she insisted, I have to have it right now. And so we found a place. I don't know how we did it, but we found a place inside the little Chevy Nova in order to put this comfort inside. And and I knew we had to have it because we were on our way on vacation. And you know what I'm talking about. And you go on your way on vacation. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody going to be happy. And so I don't want to be happy on a week's of vacation. So we went ahead and we bought it. And we found a place in the car and we went on vacation and we went back home. Do you know where that comfort went? It went up in the closet somewhere. (laughs) And do you know how long it stayed there? It stayed there for years. For years, it stayed up in the closet. The thing we had to have. 
until one day I just got tired of seeing it in the closet. I pulled it out of the closet and I said, I'm going to put this on something because we're going to get some use out of it somewhere. But my wife isn't alone. Some of you all have some stuff in your houses, tell the truth now, that you have never used. You had to have it, but you've never used it. I know some of you sisters got some shoes. You haven't even told your husband about those shoes. They're just kind of hidden up there, and you bought them. You didn't have anywhere to wear them. You didn't have anything to go with them. You just knew one day I'm going to need these shoes, and, and so I'm going to get them, and one day I'm going to get the right belt and the right accessories and the right dress to go. You know what I'm talking about. And we have stuff in our closet that we have never used. And so as long as I'm talking about this, I want to confess. Um, they say confession is good for the soul. It doesn't do much for the character, but it's good for the soul. And I want to confess that in my house in Virginia, uh, before we moved to Nashville, my garage could have made an episode of Hoarders. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen that show? And so if you haven't seen it, just watch it once. It'll cure you. <laughs> but, but, I, but, but it wasn't my stuff is what I really want to say. My... My in-laws, my mother and father-in-law died, and, and, and I've tried to get their kids to come to town to take their stuff, but I couldn't get them to come to town, and so the stuff I couldn't sell or get rid of otherwise that I thought they might want to keep ended up in my garage. And then my cousin died. My cousin had a daughter who was right in between my kids' age, and we always said that if anything ever happens to you, we weren't planning on nothing happening, but you know, you say that when you're not planning on nothing happening, but something happens sometimes. And she died, and so her daughter came to live with us. And when she came to live with us, all her mama's stuff that we thought might, she might want someday ended up in my garage. And then my first wife died. And so after a few years of bachelorhood, I got, decided to get married again. So when a new wife is coming to live in the house, you know what? I got to move all the old wife's stuff. And so all of that ended up in the garage. And so it, my garage was packed full of stuff. None of it was mine. I'm just holding it for people. But, but the point is that all the stuff that we treasure, all the stuff that we, you know, fight over, all the stuff we don't want anybody to touch or handle, because we think it's so precious, when you die, your kids don't want your stuff. You think it's the most wonderful thing in the world. I'm going to pass this along as a family heirloom. Your kids could care less about your stuff. You know, money, they want that. But the rest of the stuff. And so Solomon is upset because 
He says, I've worked all my life for all of this stuff, and, and I've had to leave it. And, and let look at verse number 19. And he says, and who knows whether the one who follows me and takes all my stuff will be a wise man or a fool. How many times have you known somebody who worked all their life putting off enjoying life, putting off the trips and putting off all the little niceties that just kind of make life enjoyable. I say, I'm going to do all this stuff after I retire. And I can't tell you how many times I've known people who did that in their life. And then a week or a month or a year later, I'm preaching their funeral in front of a church somewhere. And so this is what I know. You ought to start enjoying life right now. Start finding satisfaction in your life today. Don't let a day go by without breathing the air. Don't, don't take the air for granted, the fact that God gives it to us and that God allows our lungs to be able to take it in. Don't, don't take any of that for granted. Don't, don't live a day without falling in love. Huh? Don't work so hard and be so self-absorbed in your own life that you forget that life is best when it's shared with somebody else. Don't, don't live a day without easing somebody else's pain. And because it, there's nothing better than knowing that your life has really been useful, not just to yourself, but to somebody else. Or in sharing somebody else's joy. There's an old proverb that says that a, a shared pain is cut in half and a shared joy is doubled. And so don't ever go without that. Don't, don't allow your life to be filled and consumed with just the idea that I cannot be happy until I get more. No, I need to be happy with where I am and what I have right now. <laughs> there was a choir I was listening to on the radio, and they were singing this song about wanting more. And so in the song, they said, more, 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 more. Give us more. We need more. More, 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 more. I mean, for six solid minutes. They were stuck on this one word, more. And I'm saying to myself, how much more can you want? The truth is just one drop of Jesus ought to be enough. And so learn, learn to be satisfied even when life isn't going right. Huh? Don't, don't wait for the perfect day to come. You might never see that. And so you've got to learn to be satisfied even in your striving. Learn to be satisfied in your singleness, in your suffering, and in your school years. Learn to be satisfied in the sanctity of your marriage, in the struggles of your career, in the stresses of parenthood, and in the sickness of your senior adult years. The same Apostle Paul who said, I press toward the mark of the prize, is the same one who said, I've learned the secret of being content at whatever state that I am in. And so find satisfaction now. Touch a neighbor and tell them, find it now. Third, be mindful that satisfaction is a gift. 
from Almighty God. Everybody will never be satisfied. And the truth is, you can never satisfy everybody else. I tell you, the most frustrating thing in life is to live your life trying to make everybody in your circle satisfied. Just take my word for it. You'll never accomplish that task. And, and, the, and the ecclesiastical writer says, he says, what good is it if a God gives a man wisdom and wealth and doesn't give him the ability to eat thereof? And so he's saying, what good is it if, if you finally get the thing that you've been longing for, wanting, hoping for that would come your way, and then God doesn't give you the ability to enjoy it? What, what good is it if you get a new house but it's full of trouble? What good is it? What good is it if you get uh, 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 a, a, a wonderful dinner, a steak dinner, but, but you can't digest it and enjoy it when you eat it? You hear what I'm saying? And so what, what good is it if you get the wonderful thing you've been longing for and, and then God doesn't give you another day to breathe so you can actually enjoy it? And so just understand that, that to, to get satisfaction in your life, that is a gift from Almighty God. And so when you, when you get God in the right place in your life, God not only gives you eternal life, uh, his reward in heaven when we die, he gives us eternal life right now. God gives us, when he comes into our lives, he brings his peace into our lives. And I'm glad about that because you can't have satisfaction without peace. John chapter 14, 27 says, I, my peace I leave with you. The peace I give you is not like the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. God gives you his, the gift of his presence when he comes in, uh, into us. In Hebrews 13 and 5, it says, keep your life free from the love of money and be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, even though you don't have anything else, he said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And he gives us his wonderful power to be able to be overcomers in life. Second Timothy 1 and 7 says, God did not give us the spirit of fearfulness, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Look at verse number 24 in Ecclesiastes 2. He says, this too I see is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat and find enjoyment? The truth is, that's what Solomon concludes. He said, look, whatever it is you're searching for in life, I've been there, I've done that, tried it all, and this is the conclusion of the matter. He says that what I found is that without God, you will never find the satisfaction, the, full, the fullness in life, the happiness in life, the joy in life that you're looking for. You will never find it without him. I could want a bigger car, but without him, I would not be able to put one flat foot in front of the other. I could want a bigger house, but without him, I would not be able to lie down and sleep at night. 
I could want a bigger bank account, but without him, I would not be able to eat and enjoy and digest and live. Without him, there would be no air nourishing my lungs, no strength coursing in my limbs, no blood running warm in my veins, not without him. Without him, there would be no articulation in my speech, no comprehension in my mind, no passion in my heart, not without him. Without him, there'd be no light in my eyes, no pep in my step, no incitement in my life, no blessing in my days, no comfort in my nights, no joy in my song, no passion in my prayer, no pleasure in my praise, no wonder in my worship, no salvation in my soul, not without him. Without him, life would be worthless. Without him, life would be futile. Without him, life would be a struggle. But with him, with him, God brings peace and joy and happiness and love and mercy and grace. Take everything away from me, but give me Jesus. I need him. And it might be somebody here today, and maybe as you've thought about what Solomon says here in chapter two, maybe you've seen some issues in your own life. Maybe you've recognized that you're doing a lot of stuff, but it's really not bringing you the satisfaction that you're looking for in your life. You will never find real abiding satisfaction until you find yourself in him with a personal living, vital relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. He loved you so much, he came down from heaven. He died on an old wooden cross. He was buried in a tomb. And the Bible says on Sunday morning, he got up from the grave with all power in the palm of his hands. He's alive. He wants to breathe life into your days and even into your darkest nights to bring satisfaction to you. The friend, if you need to know him today, would you bow and pray with me this prayer? Dear God, I recognize my personal need for you. And I've been trying to do these things by myself. Would you come into my heart and give me your peace, your presence, and your power? I pray this in Jesus' name. And all who know him said, amen. Amen. We're going to turn it over to the campus pastors at this time. I love God, and I love you, Christ Fellowship. If you'd like to take your next step as a believer, we want to hear about it. Let us know by filling out a connection card at cfmemory.org connect. We want to thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.